You're listening to a SPIN podcast. We're interested in investigating the interconnections between secrecy, power, and ignorance that shape our world today. Hello, today we're going to be hearing from Dr. Thomas Leahy, who's a lecturer in British and Irish politics at Cardiff University, and he's going to be talking about the intelligence war and the Northern Irish conflict. Hello, so I'm Dr. Thomas Leahy, and I'm a lecturer at Cardiff University in British and Irish politics and contemporary history. I'm going to talk today a little bit about how my work interacts with the theme of secrecy. So my main research is on the Northern Ireland conflict, peace process, and post-1998 politics. In March 2020, I have a forthcoming book with Cambridge University Press, which explores the British intelligence war against the Irish Republican Army, the IRA, in Northern Ireland between 1969 and 1998. In the book, I'm going to explore whether the use of special forces, informers and agents, surveillance, and other intelligence means from what we know about forced the IRA into peace in 1998. So why have a look at this topic? Well, there's a view that's emerged amongst academics and commentators after 2005 that actually the IRA called a peace agreement in 1998 and agreed to peace because of an intelligence war between them and British intelligence. And this followed revelations in the media that two senior IRA members were informers in 2003 and 2005. So, in contrast, my work actually provides four reasons for suggesting why the IRA was not forced into peace by British intelligence. The first reason is that in the IRA's urban areas where it operated, Belfast and Derry City, the small cell structure of the IRA of about four to eight members each prevented infiltration from crippling the movement and forcing them into the peace process. Reason two and three for this argument is because of the elusive and secretive nature of IRA units in rural areas and in England, so places like South Armagh when we're talking about rural areas. The fourth key reason is actually that some British intelligence and secret activities actually radicalised the Irish nationalist population, and that occasionally happened because of indiscriminate security force operations or intelligence operations, which all therefore fed into retaining or actually increasing IRA support at times in particular areas. So instead, I argued that the conflict finished in a political and military stalemate between all sides. And that argument matters in relation to secrecy because ultimately it suggests that peace processes, particularly for paramilitary or terrorist groups who have a sizable minority of community support, ultimately occur because of political mandates and political negotiations, not the use of hard power between military and intelligence forces. The other part of my work that looks at secrecy is looking actually at how the Irish government deals with Northern Ireland conflict legacy. A part of that is actually researching why is it the British and Irish governments, but also the paramilitary groups involved in Northern Ireland conflict, reveal particular secrets about their actions in the past at certain times and retain other secrets at other occasions. So I explore the kind of political, legal and other factors that lead to the retention or actually revelation of secrets. One of the things I thought would be quite interesting to have a talk about at this point is, from looking at my work, why is secrecy so important for intelligence agencies? And I think there's really kind of key reasons for this, and perhaps three in particular. 
So first of all, in Northern Ireland, British intelligence had to have a clandestine war against the IRA to not try to kind of inflame the situation. So they had to make sure they didn't indiscriminately target by state forces the community on which the IRA was trying to recruit from. And the kind of disastrous effects where this could have the opposite effect of what the security and intelligence service were trying to achieve was an example from January 1972. So there was a civil rights march primarily by Irish nationalists in Derry City and British forces killed 14 unarmed civilian protesters. And that led to a spike in IRA violence and an increase in IRA violence, not just in Derry, but across Northern Ireland. So using secrecy and uh, undercover intelligence methods allow British intelligence to target people with a more kind of discriminate nature. The second point is that actually secrecy in a place like Northern Ireland, where informers and agents are generally loathed within the Irish nationalist community and kind of historical memory, secrecy is vital to actually recruiting spies amongst hostile communities. So from the work I looked at, agent handlers would never meet their agents or informers within the host community they come from. So often they'd have to move to a different secret location because of the stigma that's involved finding out that someone's an informer and agent. An example of that stigma would be the fact that there was over 50 people who allegedly informers and agents the IRA killed during the conflict. The third reason as well, and this is an important point about secrecy, is that intelligence will be gathered by states and paramilitary groups, particularly when their opponent has quite complex structural organisation structure. In the case of the IRA, it was very important for British intelligence, they felt, to try and get information from within the IRA structure at different levels because the IRA was a hierarchical movement and also regionalised movement. So, for example, having, say, an informer or agent in Belfast was not necessarily going to gain any insight into what was happening in rural IRA strongholds such as places like South Armagh. A really important thing about secrecy and a key thing I want to emphasise today is that secrecy also enables denial. And that's useful, particularly if you look at it from British state, in this case, is example, and why that was useful for them was two reasons. First of all, secrecy was vital to protect the identity, particularly of informers and agents, and maybe also electronic sources of intelligence. So during the actual conflict, what was interesting is often the British intelligence would ensure material was not going before the courts, so it did not reveal the identities of the sources of their information. And that's standard practice by British intelligence services to, as they put it, neither confirm nor deny if someone was actually an informer or agent. But there's a second reason for denial as well. And I think Northern Ireland shows that it's also an attempt to protect the state's reputation and identity. There was various controversial intelligence operations during the conflict, be that the SAS or other undercover special forces shooting dead at times unarmed civilians or at times unarmed Republicans. And there would have also been other cases where some informers and agents, such as an agent uh, codenamed Steakknife, was actually now known to have killed other informers and agents or actually was also maybe potentially killing civilians to protect their own identity. So in the state's case, it's vital, and the same for paramilitaries, it doesn't really make much difference, it's vital to deny intelligence's secrecy sources in order to protect their own reputation. I think a final point that I'd be quite interested just to touch on is about 
there obviously is more kind of interest by IR scholars and politics scholars and historical, more contemporary historical scholars as well, in secrecy as a theme, which is great. Perhaps the understanding still needs developing and the kind of interest in intelligence in particular areas. And I think my work looks at three themes of this. We've already talked about the purpose of denial. I think that needs more explanation. That sometimes, yes, it is indeed to try and protect the identities of intelligence sources. Because, again, in a community such as Irish Republicanism in Northern Ireland or Republic of Ireland, if anyone is revealed to be an informer agent, their life is at risk, to say the very least. But also denial is important in the second sense for the state to try and protect its own reputation. And the same for other uh, combatants involved in com- conflicts and maybe other interest groups who might use secrecy as well in different scenarios. The second important point is looking at organisation cultures. As I said, the way British intelligence had to try and gain secrets from the IRA involved having to infiltrate them at different regional levels, in the countryside, in urban areas, even again having different sources between Belfast and Derry City, because the IRA is an organisation taking one example, was a hierarchical organisation and also a very regionalised organisation. And that also meant if you got someone in, say, at the bottom levels, they would know very little about the top of the organisation. And actually on that interesting point, that the IRA actually, in that sense, in my view, from my work, maintained its campaign because its very inner circle of leadership was almost impossible to penetrate. And therefore, that led to opportunities for the leadership to not have their ultimate secrets, so where their strategy was going to go in the future, revealed to British intelligence. There were people, as we know, such as self-confessed informer Dennis Donaldson, who was on the outer parts of the inner circle of the IRA leadership, but they were never in a position to actually know where the strategy was going. So that led, again, to difficulties for British intelligence. So the second theme there, we need to understand more about how organisation, cultures and structures and regionality influences how much secrecy can be revealed. I think as well a key point that is raised by David Oman in his work is about looking at what we mean by the effectiveness of secrecy or secret intelligence operations. Because particularly in a conflict zone, and often studies on Northern Ireland have looked at it in terms of intelligence being effective if it leads to a decrease in IRA violence or loyalist paramilitary violence, but not actually looking at, in the longer term, what's the effect of some of these secret operations? Does it maintain public support away from some of these paramilitary groups? And a kind of one final theme I thought was interesting, if we look at documents from the conflict about secrecy. So examples the IRA issued in a newspaper called Amphoblacht in the 1970s, was warning people not to inform. So two examples was an article particularly about informers from 1974 and the dangers of informers, and also was accompanied by a poster that had a picture of an armed IRA person with a mask on, with a gun, that said, in bars, in clubs, in shops, at home, whatever you say, say nothing. And what's interesting about this is the article underneath also spoke about how Ireland would have been united if it wasn't for informers and agents a long time ago and spoke about past rebellions that had actually been ruined because, in their view, of informers and agents. So there's two interesting things about this related to secrecy. One is that the hooded IRA figure on the front and also the words, whatever you say, say nothing, and the fact the person's armed, there's a kind of veiled threat here to people who might want to pass information. But the fact there's a kind of plea to people as well shows the kind of carrot-and-stick approach 
from the IRA, but also British intelligence, we'll talk about to finish off in a second, towards pleading with people to keep secrets. And in this case, what is interesting is the kind of referring back to history, suggesting that, you know, there wouldn't be a conflict now and there wouldn't be suffering if it wasn't for informers and agents. Now, in my view, from studying the conflict, that's obviously not entirely true because outside of intelligence wars, public levels of support for organisations were also key in determining the success or failure of insurgencies. In relation to the British state, the very last thing, what was really interesting was by the 1990s, adverts that were on television about trying to get people to confidentially, confidentially pass information had changed in tone. In the 70s and 80s, it was very much trying to kind of vilify paramilitary groups, so loyalist paramilitaries, the IRA, and make out that they kind of oppressed their communities, they were hated, they were criminals. By the 1990s, largely because the IRA had a political mandate via Sinn Féin, they seemed to have changed tactic. And what was interesting was there's one particular advert from the 1990s that shows a young person seeing their parents involved in the IRA see their parents, one of them locked up, and then one of them shot dead by rival paramilitary groups. And it also showed about particular Irish nationalist areas where the IRA might be enforcing law and order as well through things such as kneecappings. And what was interesting about this advert in terms of secrecy, first of all, it appealed to people to be anonymous. So realise that there's a stigma to passing secrets from that community. The second thing as well is actually... It was suggesting that breaking secrets wasn't betraying your community, it was helping it, which was an interesting different line. And was suggesting that, look, you might feel that the cause where the Irish republicanism was fighting for was right, but it was trying to make the point the way they were doing it is just causing misery and suffering for people generation after generation. So there was a plea effect there, again, in the British intelligence advert. But again, interestingly, there was also an element of a threat because using the kind of paramilitary um, vigilante groups' activities in the actual advert, what's interesting we see there is again suggesting, well, if you don't pass information, then this kind of kneecapping type activity might continue your community and you'll suffer. Again, there's a slight exaggeration in this advert suggesting that if people pass information, the conflict can stop. It was much more complex than that because the political factors were also determining the outcome of the conflict. But nevertheless, what is interesting about this, as a final point with secrecy, is that both sides knew that the ability to kind of gain an advantage over the other person, the other side, was very much premised on maintaining secrets. So just as a summary on that, I think the key points I'm pointing out from my work related to Northern Ireland intelligence war is actually, in my view, there are limits to how much the kind of revelation of secrets that leads to intelligence operations can actually turn conflicts, particularly when you're dealing, say, with a paramilitary or terrorist group that actually has a sizable minority of political support because there's political factors behind the conflict. And the other key point I said is about secrecy and that particularly the denial of secrets happens for two reasons protect sources, but also protect the reputation of the state. Thanks. You've been listening to a SPIN podcast. For more episodes, please check out our website, secrecyresearch.com, or find us on iTunes. 